Welcome to Night Sky Tourist, a place to learn the night sky, have fun with its ancient stories, meet astronomers and dark sky advocates, and fall in love with the dark. I'm Vicki Dirksen, your host and author of the website and blog, nightskytourist.com. If you've never visited the website, I invite you to stop by after the podcast. Check out some of the great blog articles, browse through the resource page, and sign up for the newsletters. The newsletters have great content that is exclusive for subscribers. Are you ready for an adventure under the night sky? Let's jump right in. When I think of places with really great dark skies, Ohio usually does not come to mind. When you look at a light pollution map, most of the eastern half of the United States is lit up at night. And there's a few exceptions where there are pockets of darkness here and there. So I was surprised to see that Ohio has a certified international dark sky park. And since this park had the word observatory in it, I was really curious. What is this place? Well, this place is called Geauga Observatory Park. The 1,100-acre park encourages visitors to explore nature from the ground to the galaxies. And even though this episode focuses on the galaxies and night sky experiences part, you should also know that it has other really great features. There's a trail with interactive stations for studying weather, life-sized cornerstones of the Great Pyramid of Giza, earthen mounds, henge stones, and a lot more. And then when it gets dark at night, the stars and nocturnal wildlife take center stage. My guest is Chris Mentrek, a naturalist with Geauga Park District. He spends most of his time as an astronomy and nature educator at the Geauga Observatory Park. He tells me that he's partially excited about the upcoming partial annular eclipse in October and totally excited about the total solar eclipse in April next year. Chris's enthusiasm and passion for what he does at the park has inspired me to start working out when I can take a trip from Arizona to Ohio because I want to experience everything that Geauga has to offer. Please join me in welcoming to the podcast, Chris Mentrick. Thank you for joining us on the Night Sky Tourist podcast all the way from Ohio. Welcome. Thanks for talking about this. Yeah, so I'm excited to share something from Ohio. I've never shared anything from that part of the country before on the podcast. And honestly, I didn't think Ohio had any dark skies. So I'm very excited to hear that. And you're with Geauga Observatory Park. So why don't you start by telling us where in Ohio is this place and what is an observatory park? So we're in Geauga County, which is kind of the northeast corner of Ohio. So we're about, if you measure it really precisely, we're about 32 miles east of the center of Cleveland. But it's, we like to joke, it's in a whole different world as far as uh, darkness goes. So we're in the heart of Ohio Amish country. And so between that and just kind of being in a, a rural area outside of Cleveland, uh, it's a lot darker than you'd expect this close to a, to a major city. Uh, that makes perfect sense if you say that you're in Amish country, because uh, as, as most people know, they don't really use much electricity. 
Indeed. We get we a huge debt of gratitude to all of our neighbors who don't use electricity at all. Mm -hmm. That really keeps the light pollution down. That's interesting. So what is an observatory park? I haven't heard of this before. So the park got the uh, the fun name Observatory Park, partly because uh, it was going to be uh, a place where people could do observing and partly because we inherited an old hand-me-down observatory. So let me set the scene. So for the geography friends, uh, we're, like I said, about 32 miles east of Cleveland, but we're also uh, a lot higher above it. So this is chump change for you folks in the mountain time zone. But by Ohio standards, this is quite a hill. We're in uh, Montville Township. Uh, Montville's French for hill town, and it lives up to its name. We're higher above Lake Erie than Lake Erie is above the Atlantic Ocean. So if you can think of all of Niagara Falls and the whole St. Lawrence Seaway, that distance just in the few miles between us and Lake Erie. So being perched on one of the few hills in Northeast Ohio, gives us kind of a one, it gives us a, a colder microclimate, but it makes, we're at the headwaters of some of the rivers. And so it was a, a part that was always rural, but it's also been nice and dark and you're kind of elevated up above uh, some of the city lights. Being okay. elevated is always a plus because the higher up you get, the less like uh, turbul turbulence you get up in the atmosphere. So that's a big bonus. It sure is, but I'm sure you know anybody who lives in in the uh, the Rockies is laughing. So our, our elevation is 1,240 feet above sea level, which I think might be like the lowest point of certain Western states. So yeah, but like I said, by Ohio standards, that's hundreds of feet higher than normal. So tell me about this telescope or this observatory that you inherited. Oh yeah, so there were uh, a couple. So this site was already uh, the home to an observatory back in the 1950s, as uh, a lot of folks will uh, will have known. After the Sputnik launch in 1957, astronomical observatories sprung up like mushrooms after a rain. They were just coming up all over. And one of the universities in Cleveland, the, it was then called the Case Institute of Technology, they uh, needed a new spot for their observatory. Because uh, the old one was in a delic delicious bit of irony was literally across the street from the General Electric lighting uh, factory. So as you can imagine, this got quite bright. And so they're like, all right, well, we're somewhere within an hour's drive of the city where it's going to be dark and stay dark. And they said, aha, up in the hills in Amish country. So um, the university built uh, an observatory back in the late 1950s. It uh, officially opened in 1957, and so uh, they put in a big 36-inch uh, wide uh, Schmidt photographic telescope, and they did some nifty research all through the 20th century, and then uh, they were using it less and less and less as the 20th century went on. By about the turn of the millennium, they had uh, junked their Ohio observatories and moved almost all of their equipment out to uh, Kitt Peak Observatory in Arizona, and so there was this old abandoned spooky observatory in the woods and so the the park district the county park district was able to uh, acquire that and uh slowly rehab it over the years so that was kind of the name that led to observatory park and then once it became clear in about the year 2012 was when we opened um so that there was going to be this astronomy themed dark park which was kind of a a nifty new concept for folks here in ohio it kind of came out that oh so and so had a telescope to donate and so and so had another homemade telescope so we got all this amazing uh equipment i like to joke that we are we are much richer in uh equipment than we could have afforded to be if it hadn't been for some some key donations that's amazing i love that because i think that people get really excited when there's an opportunity for something that's interesting to them. And so that's really great that you got all those donations. And so you are 
before we started the interview here, we were talking about that um, the, the name Giaga comes from the Seneca, who are the indigenous people from that area. So tell us a little bit about that name, because I'm always interested in what names are. Oh, it's a fun name. So, uh, yeah, so uh, the south shore of Lake Erie has seen any number of different cultures uh, moving across it. But the name that really stuck for uh, two of the rivers nearby, uh, the two principal rivers that were in between, uh, the famous Cuyahoga River, which flows through uh, Akron and Cleveland. And then to the east of that, there is a river that was originally called the Geauga River. And uh, Geauga's kind of a, a Frenchified version of Joaca, the Seneca nation's word for a raccoon. It was the Raccoon River. And then uh, after French explorers came through, it got the name the Grand River, and then it turned into English as the Grand River. So we're right on this hill uh, that's the dividing line between the Grand River, the Geauga River watershed, and the Cuyahoga, the Crooked River watershed. And so that was part of the reason why they were setting up this park, was to preserve those nice headwaters. And they realized, you know, it's nice and dark up here. This would be a great spot for stargazing. I would say Grand River is probably easier to pronounce, but it's not as interesting as Geauga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Geauga always makes it fun. We always have to remind folks uh, how to spell that one. So you're an International Dark Sky Park. When did that happen and what does that mean for your park? Yeah, so about 11 years ago, the run up to uh, uh, 2012, uh, the folks who had uh, created Observatory Park, they they wanted to make this, you know, a dark sky park uh, where people could stay after dusk. And if you can think back to 11 years ago, this was like a brand new concept. And, you know, a, a lot of folks, understandably, in the parks world and uh, were resistant to the idea because parks close at dusk. That's always been the tradition. And so having a place where people were encouraged to stay late and uh, look at the sky took a, a little while to get over the inertia. But then, you know, it was set up. And we uh, coordinated with the uh, International Dark Skies Association, the IDA, who are kind of like the uh, the self-appointed volunteer sheriffs for light pollution. And so uh, this at the time, they were starting a, a newer uh, initiative to uh, certify and kind of measure different preserves that are dedicated to preserving the view of the night sky. It was this kind of nifty uh, new idea at the time that you know, it's easy to preserve Oh, a natural feature like a waterfall or a really cool rock arch, but it's a little harder to convince people to preserve the view of the night sky as uh, one of those nifty uh, landmarks because you've got to preserve a wider area of darkness. And so it said, all right, Observatory Park will be perfect for it. It's got the big 1,100 acre preserve to preserve the river. There's a former soybean field right in the middle of it. That's a nice spot for stargazing. And so uh, we got some guidance from the International Dark Skies Association on how to set up a dark sky park. And uh, they like to, to certify things based on how dark the sky gets. And uh, just like a lot of folks, they do a gold, a silver, and a bronze. So they assigned us to the silver tier, which basically means it gets dark enough that you can see stars with a, a visual magnitude of about magnitude six which again by uh the eastern time zone standards is amazingly dark but yeah. i know for a lot of the uh the intermountain west that's that's chump change for uh a, a lot of the really dark places are you able to see the milky way from there or is it a little too too light polluted for that we can we can see uh the the milky way especially all through the the summer months june july august and september that's kind of our, our best times for seeing it. And so a city kid like me who grew up, you know, in the in the lights of the Cleveland area, I never really believed you could just look up and see the Milky Way and then you're like, oh, I'll be darned. There it is kind of right through the uh, right through the summer triangle. 
So yeah, it's uh, not doesn't quite live up to the uh, the Instagram style hype that uh, photographers will show, but it is it's nifty that you can see this uh, place where you know you can see the Milky Way and you're still within a- an hour's drive of of both Cleveland and Akron, these these two big cities. So it's a great park for everybody to check that out. And I think you've just mentioned something really important because I like to tell people this. You see these amazing photographs of the Milky Way and there's like all this color in there and it's bright and you're like, I'm pretty sure that we could just have dinner under the Milky Way and not need any lights, right? And so I love those photos. I think they're amazing, but I always like to tell people, let's manage your expectations. You'll never see that with your naked eye, even if you go to the darkest place on earth. That is the the product of long exposure cameras and our eyes are not capable of doing that. But that doesn't mean that the Milky Way is not absolutely stunning and spectacular to the naked eye. And so that's awesome that you guys can see that from your park. Yeah, I always have to, we always have to manage people's expectations too about the, the Northern Lights. A couple times a year, somebody will get a great photo of the Northern Lights, but it's been <laughs> quite a few years since the Northern Lights have been bright enough for anybody to see them naked eye. So uh, learning that digital photos don't always tell the truth has been the hardest lesson to learn of the 21st century, and a lot of us are still working on that. So true. It's so true. What kind of night sky programs and activities do you guys offer at your park? Yeah, so we do uh, six night sky programs a month that are led by the staff. And then there's uh, every night is basically open for the self-serve option. So photographers will come out and people can bring their own telescopes. And then we use um, the two observatory buildings that we have in the park for those uh, different night sky uh, viewing events. And so we try to keep those on uh, the weekends because that's when it's most convenient for most folks to come out. And uh, this is uh, the Great Lakes region. It's famously cloudy. So by scheduling six a month, we're, we're lucky if we can get three or four uh, nights of, of good viewing conditions. Uh, some folks are like, oh, yeah, we don't, we'll, we'll only come out the night of the, uh, the new moon. I'm like, if we put all our eggs in that basket, we would be lucky to get six viewing nights a year. So, yeah, that's why we uh, schedule uh, six a month. Uh, we also do um, every month we do a, a hike under the full moon. So that's a chance to not only get out there in the brightness, you know, the, the brightest dark uh, night we get and uh, take a walk and experience nature. So you get to go through the cool forest and like just this, uh, this was just this past week, we, we had a full moon hike and it is an amazing park for fireflies. Uh, it is so much fun. And yeah, we've given folks little uh, tiny LED lights so they can signal back to them and they'll synchronize their flashes with you and you can kind of uh, lure them closer. So uh, a lot of folks from out of state are, are amazed at how many fireflies you get in the uh, the dripping wet Ohio woods. But uh, we tend to take that for granted, locals, that everything will be lit up with fireflies all the time. Um, I love fireflies. And I only learned like two months ago that we have fireflies in Arizona. And so I just went Wonderful. to a firefly event down in southern Arizona last week. And it's pretty oh, yes. exciting. So it's cool that you guys do that. And especially with the full moon hike. What a brilliant idea. And then there's, you know, the regular telescope viewings we do. So we have um, a couple of larger telescopes and then uh, the the usual portable telescopes you'd see at a star party. Uh, We have a 25-inch wide reflecting telescope that was made by an Ohio amateur named Norm Overly. So it's kind of cool that we get to preserve that one and keep it going. That's a big telescope. That's a big telescope. It's kind of fun. And then the preserved one in the old historic observatory is a a 36-inch wide Cassegrain telescope. That was made right there in Cleveland. So Cleveland was this telescope building powerhouse for decades. There was a company called the Warner and Swayze Company. So if you go around to like 
Canada's Old Dominion Observatory or the Navy's Observatory or, you know, American University in Beirut, you'll meet all these other cool uh, Cleveland-built telescopes or the Yerkes Refractor. So it's this fun little bit of local history that we get to keep uh, going along. That's so cool. Those are some really decent-sized telescopes there. That's awesome. Um, so I saw something on your website when I was looking at it the other day, and it says it has this phrase on there, rare and endangered flora and fauna live and play in the shadows of the observatories. And so I'm really curious, uh, what are some of those rare and endangered flora and fauna that you have around there? They're, they're a lot of fun, but uh, some of them aren't aren't really the kind that uh, get their pictures put on, on U-Haul vans. Uh, so it's this kind of nifty little environment called an upland swamp. So you're at a higher elevation. You're not down in a valley, but it's still very clay soil. So just about everything is a shallow, marshy, kind of boggy area. And so there's these uh, nifty plants around. There's one called swamp red currant. Um, it's you know, uh, an Ohio State endangered one, but it's preserved in this nifty little uh, park. And uh, another fun one is called Hobblebush. So I know, I don't know anybody who, uh, you know, travels across state lines to go check out Hobblebush, but it's it's cool that we've got it. Partly because there's so many uh, small uh, sandstone and conglomerate rock ravines within the park. Uh, there's a lot of places the deer can't get to. So in the rest of Ohio, you know, deer will just browse down all the, the amazing uh, nifty plants. But if it's, you know, the ravine sides are a little too steep it kind of preserves some of them another one that's not uh, endangered but it's kind of always fun for uh, ohioans to check out the really the only kind of lizard that we ever see in in northern ohio they're called these five line skinks and for some reason they love observatory park like they we have to keep shooing them out of our planetarium room and uh, they will come into the restrooms with you they're these uh, adorable little lizards I would not think of lizards up in Ohio at all. <laughs> no, it's it's we're all we're always really surprised. I mean, there's plenty of other you know all the usual Ohio uh, wildlife. There's um, a great set of beaver marshes nearby. You'll see plenty of wild turkey and deer and and all the usuals. Uh, black bear walk through. It's not this year, but last year they 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 wandered through the park. There. Uh, so like I said, it's all the all the usual fun Ohio flora and fauna. You know what's interesting when you think about that though is that, you know, you guys are are a naturally dark area, have always been since it's Amish community. So, you know, light pollution has a huge impact on more than just being able to see the night sky. It also has an enormous impact on plants and animals. And so, you know, it makes, it, it immediately sends my mind to thinking, you know, what would happen to those rare and endangered plants and animals that you have if all of a sudden your area got overtaken by light pollution, that could be the end of those endangered species that you have there. Oh, absolutely. Not just, you know, some of the, uh, you know, the, the plants that then feed the animals and such, but I mean, those amazing fireflies we have, they need the darkness even more yeah. so. And so it's a good spot for seeing uh, nighthawks and other creatures that, again, if it were totally bright, it would, it would just would not be a, a place where you'd see them. And then even even our friends like the humble American toad. I know a lot of folks are like, oh, light pollution will affect glamorous animals like sea turtles. But even even the humble toad needs needs that uh, darkness to uh, develop a, a healthy fear of uh, staying away from from uh, lights and predators. So it's it's good to give them a nice dark spot where they can they can hop around and uh, munch on bugs in the woods. Yeah. And, you know, I think that part of part of the night sky experience, part of going out and stargazing is not just what you're seeing, but at nighttime, it's also a lot about what you hear. 
because when your sight is more limited, you tend to hear more, which I think is part of what makes us afraid of the dark sometimes is because we're hearing <laughs> stuff we don't hear. But you know, what a cool thing because you guys are able to preserve a lot of that there. And I'll bet you guys get to hear a lot of really cool wildlife too. Oh, we do. So there's like this cool, you know, annual calendar to it. It starts off in the spring. You'll start hearing wood frogs calling at night. And then after that, we'll start hearing tree, uh, excuse me, we'll start hearing spring peeper tree frogs calling. And then the toads are doing their mating calls. And then it's the gray tree frogs and then the green frogs. And there's this whole cool annual cycle to it. And we just started hearing uh, the night hawks doing that amazing uh, booming sound out in the out in the field this past uh Week, so we know it's summer. You start hearing the Nighthawks and you know it must be uh, August. <laughs> I knew it was summer back in May here in Arizona. <laughs> nice! I didn't have to hear anything. I just started melting to death. <laughs> oh my goodness, I can't even imagine. <laughs> so I've seen on your website also that you have a lot of hiking trails. I love hiking. One of the things I like to do here in Arizona is I lead stargazing hikes. Nice. with a, uh, an organization called the Sonoran Conservancy of Fountain Hills. Love doing it. We don't we don't usually do it on a full moon night. We do it at the first quarter moon because the moon is bright enough, but we can still see the stars really well. And then we look at telescopes at the end. And so anytime I hear about hiking trails, I'm all in. So your park has trails. Um, tell us about them and which ones are good for people to enjoy under the night sky. Yeah, there's a, a couple of good ones. So the whole park covers about uh, 1,100 acres, and there's just under three miles of trails, all told. Uh, so if you wanted kind of the the shorter, easier one, uh, the good one that we have is just makes a big loop around a big, wide open meadow. So uh, in the summer, that's a great spot for looking at the fireflies, but it's also got a scale model of the solar system if you visit during the daytime. So you can go along and, you know, you can visit all, yeah, markers for each of the planets and get a sense of how far apart they are from one another. And then that's also in the winter that becomes a, a premier uh, cross-country skiing trail uh, right through that one. Then there's another longer one that goes off through uh, the woods. And so in the winter, that has the benefit that it's out of the wind, that you're uh, not quite getting that uh, blowing into you. In the summer, it's a lot darker, but you're underneath the, uh, the tree canopy. So the stargazing on that one isn't as great, but it gets darker even earlier. So if you really want to get that uh, taking a, a walk in the night woods experience, that's a good trail for it. And the other thing is that this is being an, uh, an upland swamp terrain, everything is basically flat. There's maybe 20 feet of, uh, you know, relief over the entire park. So if you don't want to go up or down too, uh, too far, it's a, it's a good comfy hiking spot. That's awesome. I love that you guys turn that trail into a, like a solar system walk. That's fun. So people need to know they're going to get really out of breath once they pass Jupiter. <laughs> it takes a while. Well, I don't know. Do you have Pluto? I mean... Of course we do. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, uh, we've got the whole solar system, including even the sun and the asteroid belt. So even if it's not, you know, officially a planet in everybody's book, it's still a part of the solar system. We participate in a Thanksgiving Day parade in our town every year. And nice. here we we marched with um like inflatable planets on sticks and we you know, have them all in a row and we decided to include pluto and and wrapped around the stick was the disney dog character of pluto <laughs> along with the planet and we got standing ovations for pluto it was so much fun <laughs> that's always a good one that's a great idea i gotta have a pluto parade yes <laughs> 
So we um we always do a, a running race here. It's called the space race. And so folks, you know, run different laps. And then, oh, if you run this far, you've made it to, to Neptune. Run this far, you've made it to Pluto. There was a big spike in the number of people who wanted to run all the way to Pluto. That was a very popular destination. Yeah, Pluto. Everybody votes for the underdog. You know what I love is when they sent the New Horizons spacecraft out there and we got those beautiful, beautiful close-up images of Pluto for the first time. And those images come back and Pluto has a great big heart on it. (laughs) (laughs) Great. That was so fun. tell, Tell us what people can do at the park during the daytime. So we've got all the the usual, uh, you know, exploring a, a park in the daytime activities. So there are, like I said, those trails that uh, folks can walk in the winter. It's uh, great for snowshoeing or, or cross-country skiing. Uh, if you're really into bird watching, uh, it's a good uh, spot for all the meadow uh, birds. And then if you want to get deep, dark into the woods, it's a, a nice spot rolling over logs. We'll, we'll show you some fun salamanders. Every spring, it's got a great selection of just the, the what we call the spring ephemeral wildflowers that just light up the uh, the forest floor when we're all tired of that winter grayness here around April in Ohio and we're ready. We're ready for spring. That's always a, a fun one. And then uh, there are a few times of the year where we're allowed to uh, have folks camp overnight. We usually try to do that for the uh, the Perseid meteor shower in August, where folks can spend the night. And so that's a, a, a camp out all the time uh, option. I was going to ask if um, camping was permitted in your park. It didn't sound like it was going to be, but that's cool that you guys do that. That's fun. I've, I've camped under the Perseids before, and it is spectacular. That is good stuff. We, we're we're working on, eventually we'd like to have people be able to camp in the park all the time, but uh, right now it's just for special events. But it's not too far, about uh, three miles up the road, there's a commercial campground, and then there's uh, a, two nearby parks that allow camping. So like I said, if you if you make a day of it, there's, there's a lot of good spots nearby. So if Giaga means uh, raccoon, do you guys get raccoons? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> we tend to take them for granted here because they're they're quite so common and, and you see them almost every every evening. But oh, my goodness. Yes. So, yeah, you'll notice we have some very hefty trash cans to, to keep them from uh, getting into our getting into the garbage. My very, very, very favorite uh, uh, video clip I've ever seen that had raccoons in it was the raccoon that was at that uh, oscillating rainbow uh sprinkler you know what i'm talking about and he oh, looks yeah. like he's playing a harp nice. with the little streams of water i love it so much they're so cute they are a, they're kind of a, a mascot so there's you'll see raccoons around uh the county on signs and um we lived up to our reputation one year a raccoon managed to eat all of the prize-winning baked goods at the county fair so i mean it was the most raccoon thing that ever happened well, I learned from the movie Elf not to try to give raccoons a hug. So. <laughs> oh, I do always like to point this out for the the astronomy uh, the astronomy nerds want to appreciate it. Whenever we're asked, like, oh, what a favorite star is, we feel obligated to go with the raccoon star. So uh, the the Latin name or the scientific name for raccoons, they're procyonids. And there's that star, Procyon. So it's essentially the raccoon star. So we have to say that that's our favorite star on account of the raccoon connection. Uh, that works for me. That's part of uh, the little dog, the Canis Minor constellation. Nice. Fun. Yeah. I got to tell you, though, with uh, Canis Minor, 
being the little dog, when I look at that constellation, there's only what, like three or four stars in there? And I'm like, <laughs> what were they smoking when they thought they saw a dog? <laughs> they had, unless it's a hot dog, they had better imaginations than me. I agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's some of the stuff I love about looking at constellations where you're like, really? <laughs> I mean, Scorpius is a no-brainer from northern that. hemisphere it looks exactly like a scorpion now if you're in the southern hemisphere they see it as a fish hook nice it's upside down compared to what it is here so that's fun i love that stuff that's a good one so how can people learn more about your park yeah the best way is to um go to our website it's the tricky to spell geauga park district.org so geauga is a fun word it's g-e-a-u-g-a -A -A. but once you've got that uh, you should be good. Or if you just look for Observatory Park in Ohio, it's uh, it, you'll get us there. And then you can find out all about visiting, you know, Geauga County and checking out some of the, the local culture. Like I said, if you're going to visit, you might as well load up on delicious Amish-made uh, baked goods before you do your stargazing. That sounds like a good idea. Just don't share with the raccoons. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to put the link to uh, your park in the show notes so that people can just go right over to the show notes and click on it and be able to get right over there. And um, whoa, what an exciting place that you guys have in an area of the country that's typically just known for a lot of light. So that's awesome. Thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciated this conversation. Um, I'm very excited to be able to share this with the listeners. And I can't wait to hear stories of people going there to visit because they heard about it here. Yeah, thanks for calling. If you have never been to a place with nearly pristine night skies, Great Basin National Park in Nevada is hosting their annual astronomy festival in September. This festival includes guest speakers, photo workshops, tours of the Great Basin Observatory, and other fun programs for families. And of course, there will be telescope viewing. If you're interested in attending, mark your calendar for September 14th through 16th. And while you're there, you have to stop by the Stargazer Inn and Bristlecone General Store in the town of Baker. The owner, Liz Woolsey, was a guest on episode 59 of the Night Sky Tours podcast. She shares about the amazing stargazing opportunities in the area, the Park to Park After Dark program, and visiting Great Basin National Park. You can find a link for the Astronomy Festival and the episode with Liz in the show notes or visit nightskytourist.com slash 72. That's nightskytourist.com slash 72. It's time for our night sky tour for mid-August 2023. Pause the podcast, turn off all the lights, and I'll meet you outside under the stars. Tonight's feature constellation is Sagittarius. Let's see if you can find it without the help of a stargazing app. Face south and see if you can find Scorpius. Scorpius looks just like a giant scorpion in the sky with his big curved tail. Can you see it? Now look to the left for a shape that looks like a teapot with a pointy lid. Can you find that? If not, go ahead and use your stargazing app to find Sagittarius. Just remember to turn down your screen brightness and have your night mode on so that you can remove the blue light from your screen. 
This protects your night vision so you can see more stars. Sagittarius is actually much larger than just this teapot because the full constellation actually represents a centaur, which is half horse, half man from Greek mythology. The rest of the stars are somewhat faint, so if you have any light pollution, you might need to use a star app to help you locate all the rest of the constellation. The Latin word Sagittarius actually means archer, and indeed the Greeks saw a centaur with a bow and arrow, and it was ready to strike the heart of the scorpion. So can you see that red star in Scorpius? That's the star Antares, and it's the heart of the scorpion. In Greek mythology, Sagittarius was known as Chiron. Chiron's mother was a nymph, and his father was the titan Cronus when he had taken on the form of a horse. When Chiron was born half horse and half man, his parents abandoned him in disgust, and he was adopted by the god Apollo. Apollo and his sister Artemis taught Chiron music, archery, and medicine, and he became the chief among centaurs, and he served as a wise and a just teacher. According to some versions of the myth, Chiron was accidentally shot with a poisoned arrow. Since he was immortal, he did not die, and although he was a healer, Chiron could not heal himself. So he chose to become immortal and take the place of Prometheus, who had been eternally punished by the gods for giving fire to men. When Zeus, Chiron's half-brother, saw his sacrifice, he placed the image of the centaur in the sky. Some people see the southern constellation, Centaurus, as the actual representation of this myth, but others see it in the constellation Sagittarius. So looking at the teapot asterism, the Milky Way rises from its spout northward across the sky. The spout is on the right side of the teapot. You have to be under some good dark skies to see the Milky Way, but this will help you to be able to identify it if you're unsure of where it is. Be sure to check out the show notes for everything mentioned in this episode or visit nightskytourist.com 72. That's nightskytourist.com slash 72. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Night Sky Tourist Podcast. If you enjoy the Night Sky Tourist Podcast, please show your support by subscribing to it in your podcatcher and leave a written review. Your reviews are really important to me and they help others discover the podcast. Be sure to visit nightskytourist.com for great articles and resources. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter for exclusive content. We'll see you here again in two weeks. Until then, keep looking up.